You're listening to Bacula Future, a Gatsby Reserve podcast on the Fat Gatsby Network. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finding me Cause I've got faith of the heart I'm going where my heart will take me I can't reach any star Hello, Fat Gatsby listeners, and welcome to the premiere series under our new Gatsby Reserve label. Um, these are podcasts uh, uh, that will be a shorter run, uh, focusing on a single subject. And uh, Ben and I... Hello. Hey, Ben. I, I, I'm Dave. <laughs> hey, I'm Ben. And, that, and that's Ben. <laughs> um, so Ben told me... That my opinions about the series Star Trek Enterprise are shit. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're entitled to opinions. I just don't agree with them. <laughs> At <Thanks>. all. <laughs> now, okay. Uh, a few years ago, I, I went back and, and, and rewatched the entirety of, of Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, and I was... Okay. I'm not going to say that this is the greatest Star Trek series or a, a, a great show. Like I'm, I'm not here to say Star enterprise is some hidden gem. Like, Oh, it's like, like firefly. Fuck that. You should watch enterprise. <laughs> no, this is not that. What I'm saying is enterprise is much better than the reputation it deserves. And in many respects is a way more forward thinking series than its immediate predecessors. And, mm -hmm. To that end, thinking about what Enterprise did right is informative of what uh, of of what the the new Star Trek series coming to CBS's exclusive online um, uh, production channel uh, could do for Star Trek in general. Um, I think Enterprise has a lot of good to inform what Star Trek could be going forward, and there's a lot that a smart writer and producer could learn from it then yeah why do you disagree um i don't think it was well inspired at all i i felt like they they decided they were going to do a prequel and they decided to take the la laziest possible route um by phoning in all the writing um <clears throat> uh not really not really staying true to star trek i, I either any of them, any iteration of it. Let's let's mm. start with that. Um, <clears throat> I just I just found myself incredibly bored watching them, and it's very disappointing because I really, really, really like Star Trek. Uh, I too am excited for the CBS one, and I'm hoping when they're writing it and coming up with uh, the concepts for it, they do not watch Enterprise at all. Um, <laughs> For fear that it may taint the writers and actors. <laughs> <laughs> so, we need to quarantine Enterprise for fear of contamination. <laughs> for fear of contaminating the future. 
Exactly. All right. So what we've decided to do is, uh, Ben, you've assembled a highly curated list yeah. uh, called from multiple sources that mm. uh, recognize a, a selection of episodes as, as, as the fan favorites. Yes. These are the cream of the crop of the worst of the worst. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my case, yes, it's the worst of the worst, <laughs> but they're the cream of the crop for those that liked Enterprise as well. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a list uh combined from multiple sources and uh, a little bit of uh, what I can remember from it, just throwing in some of my uh, favorite dislikes. All right. And to <laughs> begin with our premiere episode of this series, we are going to discuss the pilot, Broken Bow, parts one and two, Yep. Uh, which premiered, it was either a week before or a week after September 11th. Right. Uh, well, I got that here, I think. It was September 26, 2001. Um, so I had that going for it. Yeah, that did not help its chances for viewership. I mean, uh, it was also on UPN, so that didn't help anything either. No, not at all. So, yeah, that was some dark times, too. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to be honest, and I'll, I'll start off with this. Um, I remember watching this one when it came mm-hmm. out. Um, Though not at, I, I think I saw it already in, as a rerun um, because I wasn't able to catch uh, the series as it came out uh, all the time. Um, but I do remember liking it, and when I rewatched it, it really wasn't a terrible episode. It set up some groundwork that mm-hmm. um, was very akin to the original Star Trek and Next Generation, I thought. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It, <clears throat> it, it does that Star Trek pilot episode yep. of time to get the crew together. Right. And it serves that function. It does. And it was also in that respect of, like, let's show off what we can do. Mm. Um, and, it, it, you know, you have the, the sweeping view, uh, outside view of uh, while the Enterprise is docked, and you see their CG effects of it. And it's, it's beautiful. It it's really pretty nice. is. But the precursor to that is when the liquid alien uh, slides <laughs> under the door and you're like, the fuck am I watching? You uh. have to wait like a solid 15 minutes, maybe more. I can't remember right now. But before you see the beauty of the Enterprise, you're, you're tainted with this awful, awful uh, CG of an alien just, I don't know. And that's that's not the only moment of bad CG that, that no. does not hold up today. The uh, Doctor Flock's yep. creepy, digitally enhanced smile. Only time they used it, as far as but I've seen yes, so far. Thankfully, they never used it again. Yeah, I just it, it it sucks that it was a throwaway thing because why even do it then? Yeah, like, he's, yeah. he totally smiles in other episodes, but he, it's <laughs> never like this creepy curling up like Joker style. Yes, that was an unfortunate mistake. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what else I don't like about the pilot mm-hmm. and 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 about Enterprise uh, in general are these is are when it's very very conscious of being a prequel mm-hmm. uh, to to the extent that it is almost like a period piece within the Star Trek universe. Yeah. So they do all this technological foreshadowing, like looking at the te- the transporter, which is brand new, and, right. and and Malcolm Reed saying, "Uh, you wouldn't get me in one of those things." It's it's basically Downton Abbey, like when they first get a telephone in the mansion, and <laughs> and the old people are like, "Oh, a telephone? Why would you ever use that?" Um, that stuff is it, it's positively grown worthy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- and that's the th- that's why I'm saying. It, 
they took it as a prequel and then they decided to do it with all the tropes of a prequel. And um, that entire first season, I feel, is is all of what you just said. Uh, a lot of the episodes are um, playing with the idea that, hey, you know, you know this can happen, but now we're going to mm-hmm. do the opposite just because. They um, really hammer you over the head with the fact that they lot. don't have shields. Yeah, yeah, the whole plating gets really annoying. Um, which I, yeah, that's, that's a concept I just don't grasp either, but whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the hull plating, um, the, the fact that it's new tech and it seems to always be broken, um, which kills me a hundred percent kills me because they spend all of the first season complaining about how the, uh, the Vulcans prevented them from, you know, going into space until they were ready. So apparently before they were ready, it was just maturity, not anything to do with the technology behind it. They couldn't have, have fixed the, uh, the sensor arrays or fixed the communications in like a later episode when they're, they're stranded in a, uh, uh, well, what do you call it? Um, oh God, I just drew a blank. Uh, a shuttle pod. Um, you know, all that stuff is broken. I'm pretty sure that like the 50 some odd years before when Archer's father was was bitching and complaining, they probably could have been working on getting better fucking equipment. <laughs> but Ben, they had to leave Space Dock in a hurry. They had a diplomatic mission. They had to return this Klingon to his people. Yeah. It's like in Star Trek 2. I think it's Star Trek 2. When they steal the Enterprise, when they like, they take the Enterprise and like nothing works and they're always like, how come we don't have photon torpedoes? They were going to be installed next Tuesday. Ah, great. Yeah, that's at least funny. (laughs) I I mean, that was, that was like, I don't know, borderline slapstick. This is like, okay, we're going to send them out on a diplomatic mission and pray that nothing goes wrong with this brand new species, blah, 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 blah. You waited how many years listening to the Klingons, or not Klingons, I'm sorry, the Vulcans, and now this random encounter decides that, okay, now we're ready. Like, I just, I don't get it. It makes humanity look stupid. I, it, and I, I 100% agree with the Vulcans. We should have never gone to space. <laughs> Fuck us in our ass. It is, it is weird the ways in which the show sometimes has to define humanity in opposition to the other alien races that they encounter. Yeah. It's like, it's like humanity has to make excuses. Um, yeah. Like, well, Hey, you know, we might not be the, the best and the brightest out there, but we have heart. Right. Where, That's yeah. I, there's a lot. There, there's a few examples. I, there's, there's a specific episode later where aliens admire humans, art and literature mm-hmm. as if to say like, well, your technology is clearly vastly inferior, but, but, but you make up but for you, it by being surprisingly creative. You paint good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's funny. I was thinking about that. Like, um, there's a lot of shows that, you know, focus on humanity and Dr. Who does that constantly with him always saying how, you know, human humanity always survives. Humanity's always this. Humanity's always that. It's it. You know that I can get behind. It's good. They do it in a good way. Next generation having Q show up and constantly question how humanity works and everything like that. That was done really well, and that was done on a borderline philosophical level. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying it's like you know this is stuff that needs to be taught in schools, but it's they definitely didn't just look at a Wikipedia page and come up with some things to talk about. 
all of season one is just talking about the same thing and it's 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 that dichotomy between humanity and vulcans and Mm -hmm. a fake race at least the other ones looked at it like an introspective sort of thing, like kind of tongue-in-cheek, like, haha, we know these aliens aren't real. We as humans sometimes suck. Um, and here's, here's why. You don't get that from Enterprise. You just get that we're, we're angry, we're, we're um, uh, bossy a lot of times, and we got ants in our pants and need to get to space. It's, it's the only aspect of the show that uh, not the only aspect of the show but it because it's a big aspect of the show the that antagonism mm-hmm. between humans and vulcans yeah um that unfortunately i i can look to um and and say that they needed to artificially generate this sense of conflict yeah um and and you know what 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 how what more heightened conflict for Star Trek fans than to illustrate how two of the series' closest buddies, the humans and Vulcans, <laughs> used to get along. Right. Um, that feels really artificial and forced. Yeah. And in contrast to something I want to praise mm-hmm. the show for, and that is that unlike Voyager and Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. the crew of Enterprise is not defined by these artificially antagonistic relationships. Uh, it's not Federation versus Maquis, and thus that defines every interaction of them for the yeah. whole first season. It's not the Federation and the Bajorans and the Cardassians all you know, forced into conflict with mm-hmm. each other. Um, because ultimately those representations create serve to create very one-dimensional characters those yes. characters are not allowed to be fully realized people they're just the thing that they are all cardassians are this way all bajorans are this way right uh, i i think enterprise with the terrible notable exception of the human vulcan relationship for the most part the main cast they're just people they're allowed to just be people <coughs> and that's something that yeah. really impresses me um, there, there are uh, some wonderful key moments in the pilot. Um, the first time we meet uh, Malcolm Reed, mm-hmm. he's making fun of Commander Tucker for his accent. Yeah. And that's just a very fun human thing to do. Uh, I know what he's going to say. Keep your shirt on, Lieutenant. Hey, it's funny to hear a British guy do a Southern accent. Yeah, but yeah. you also get the feeling like, uh, this coworker that I just met, get a load of him. He's fucking Foghorn Leghorn in space. Come on, you gotta meet this guy. Um, <laughs> you just nailed his character. <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn in space. Now I'm trying um, to think of who the uh, chicken hawk is. <laughs> the uh, uh, Travis and uh, Ensign, Ensign Mayweather mm-hmm. in the pilot they they spend a lot of time unfortunately sort of defining that he is a space boomer that he yeah. grew up in space he's not an earth native necessarily and and there's a couple points at which they they sort of serve to illustrate so what was that like for you growing up yeah and then throughout the rest of the season thankfully they just kind of let him be himself yeah they just kind of let him be a person. Being a boomer, being a, a, a kid that grew up on a spaceship doesn't define who he is. Now, unfortunately, uh, you know, that actor, the handsome young devil, though he is, mm-hmm. I, I feel like he couldn't really find the person the, that yeah. Travis is. Yeah. Unfortunately, but at least he wasn't <clears throat> like forced to box in the character according to what the show Bible said he had to be. Right. 
Right. <clears throat> well, and and he, yeah, I I like the idea that it was you know it, it's he was a novelty to even the crew because oh my god you you were born in space you grew up mm-hmm. in space all this other stuff like that's it's still showing. Um, that, that I think is a good example of how they were showing that it, yes, it is a prequel and these are concepts that you may not have thought about that this is earth coming into the space age, the real space age. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you don't really have a huge sense of that. I think, uh, was the forge, uh, a boomer technically in that respect? Cause I remember his mother, uh, wasn't it his mother that, um, flew a, a cargo ship or a, a, space barge or whatever you want to call it oh gosh you're right i forgot about that i, I, I don't just, remember them specifically yeah i don't think they mentioning d- that he grew up in space. dwelled on it and and that's that's why i'm saying like i don't think it really was talked about in any of the other uh series um mm-hmm. until you really kind of had it hit home by someone else saying oh wow what was that like it's a foreign concept to me it's Where, an interesting bit of world building yes and and that's what i think overall the series lacked was good world building um, they they uh, held on too much to the things that everyone everyone knew um, was a concept. Like the the you know the everyone knew that there was a um, what's the uh, there was bad blood between Vulcans and humans or not bad blood but you know the the weirdness between them like you know two young lovers. Um, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, not logical. America, not America, but Earth wants anal and the Vulcans don't. Um, but I mean, you know, it's things like that that everyone kind of already knew because you saw that in other things like um, uh, 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 First Contact. Um, you know, you, you got a taste of that a little bit when, you know, he goes to play on the jukebox and, and the weird glances are exchanged. And it's talked about in folklore with uh, in other episodes about how, you know, we weren't really mature and blah, blah, blah. I, I wish that they didn't focus on that and that they did more real building like they did with Travis. Of course, they dropped that, uh, like you said, and so <laughs> it really goes to show you that they didn't have that in mind whatsoever. They may have dropped it as as a bit of world building, but but what it serves to do the show in 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 place of that, mm-hmm. let's look at some of what the pilot does in terms of establishing where we are <coughs> in the Star Trek world in ways that Star Trek hadn't done before. Because okay. I, the, the one thing that is very obvious is that uh, they wanted to make this the Star Trek that was accessible. They wanted to make this the Star Trek that... And I ultimately, I think they failed because they ended up relying way too much on Star Trek fans' expectations of yes. what the future of the future would be. But the <clears throat> moments in the pilot where they succeed, that opening is a great opening. We open on a farm on the f- and yeah. a farmer with a with a shotgun. Yep. I, I mean, that's there is we are showing our audience a future and an earth mm-hmm. where a there are still farmers. B they still carry guns <laughs> in case someone's <laughs> trespassing on their land. Yep. This is this is a normal, you know, human interaction. Even though it's a bunch of aliens running around that he's chasing, we see this very normal human interaction that people immediately understand well you yeah yeah i i agree and you and it's it uh, to take it one step further you you also see uh i think later on in that um when you're meeting some of the cast and crew or the the crew um Mm -hmm. that 
it's still a world divided by countries. It's not all under one umbrella of Earth. You still oh, yeah. have very much different opinions. And and it was um, God, why can't I can't think of their names? But the uh, Malcolm talking about yeah. uh, how if you know if they landed in Britain. Maybe this was another episode that it would it would have been a completely different thing. We wouldn't have thought about uh, like they would have thought we were more mature. Blah blah blah. Um, it, it's interesting to think of it that way. Also, that it, everyone's not under the same flag. Yeah, yeah. You know, Tucker's Tucker's a Tucker's a good old boy yep. from from deep Dixie, and and Malcolm is comes from a long line of proud Royal yep. Navy men, and um, yeah, yeah. They they are all. This is this is an Earth that is more similar to the one that we know. Yeah. Than the the far future of Picard's twenty fourth century, right? Um, and 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 so those are things that root the show in in these more human inter- these more human interactions. Yeah. Um, we see the, the the flashback of of uh, Archer building a model rocket with his dad. Yeah, that's still something that people do when they're flying it around on the beach. Yeah, it's it's things like that. These bits of not science fictional familiar familiarity, but just normal everyday human familiarity. Yeah. <coughs> These are things that serve the pilot very well. Yeah. And when they get away from that stuff and they lean too hard into the deep Star Trek lore, not only do they lose their casual viewing audience, but they lose what makes this show special and unique. Yeah. The... Mm-hmm. The I so overall I thought the story was really good with this first episode. Um, mm-hmm. It it did a great job um, introducing characters in in a non like sticking a needle in my eye sort of way. Um, <laughs> it, it, because, it, because they're people. Yes, that's and that's that's <laughs> another human great human element is is that we see because this is not the far future. It's more like an Earth that we know. Yeah. this is not a Starfleet that is long established. In many ways, yes. this crew will be inventing the jobs that someone like Jean Luc Picard will have trained his whole life for. Yes. Um, no one has ever been there. There obviously have been spaceship captains before Jonathan Archer, but no one has ever been that specific role of Starfleet captain, that unique mixture of scientist, explorer, diplomat and military leader yeah. that you have to be. <coughs> yeah, it they they do a a fantastic job of of setting up that. Um, you know, the burgeoning uh, world of uh, Starfleet. Yeah. You know, um, we, we need someone to understand alien languages. Yes. Oh, we, we better hire a linguist. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Yep. We've got our engineer. He's been working on this engine for a long time. We've got a doctor from the interspecies exchange program right. who can help us out with stuff if we need it. Um, these are, you know, the, the people. And that's <coughs> ultimately, again, Hoshi being afraid of space. Who yeah. knows why she's even so affiliated with Starfleet in the first place? But it's not her background. Her background is a linguist. She's a linguist. She yeah. didn't. She didn't want to be there necessarily. Yeah. None of them necessarily planned on going on this big long mission in space. Right. Um, right. It's the crew that they had to go with. Right. They. Yeah. What What started <laughs> off as the first uh, fir- first trial run of the ship ended up turning into a a uh, indefinite mission. Yeah. Um, which I, I do kind of like that, but at the same time, I'm just like, hey, remember how you left early and not everything was put together? Why are you having your only spaceship, your only, like, 
whatever class they're calling them at that point, spacecraft, going off and flying on and looking at different things without it being 100% ready to go. Because we've just... proved our ability with good old grit and determination, Cap. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we can fix whatever <laughs> we want along the way. <laughs> they don't even have uh, replicators at this point, right? That was a... <sighs> I think that was after the original Star Trek that that came about. So, right. So I want to know how they're repairing things as they're going along because they do not have a system of of space ports um, to go to that are, you know, all uh, Starfleet. So <laughs> and, and we'll go back now to uh, a lack of shielding and we have the, the hull plating, which... Mm-hmm. To what I understand, it's it's a mix of uh, electrifying the hull, sort mm-hmm. of, and the actual polarizing hull, it, polarizing it, yes, and and the hull itself. Um, so when it's damaged, you are replacing pieces of the hull. It does not seem feasible that they have an entire deck just you know filled with, with hull pieces. <laughs> so I, I'm. <laughs> You know, these these are things I know you suspended disbelief with a lot of this stuff, but I, I feel like they really set themselves up for some of this because you you want to go back and do a, a prequel uh, series, then you're you're going to get this. <laughs> um, no, OK, now I I'm going to have to say I'm going to say that they they have to have replicators. There are historical Star Trek-y reasons mm-hmm. why they would have to have, by now, invented some sort of matter-energy conversion device because they have transporters. Yeah, it's the same but, principle. Well, they, no, it's not the same principle because the, the principle of the, the, um, the transporter is that it's taking your molecular structure and mm. transporting it to another spot based upon uh that you're not eh, okay i see what you're saying yeah it's taking matter yeah. converting it to an energy stream <clears throat> and then reconstructing that matter in a different location based upon the pattern that you took before you sent it replicators work the same way you have you have patterns for meals stored in the computer and at least on the enterprise d according to the technical manual they had raw matter storage on one of the – they just had, had like a warehouse full of raw matter okay. that was used to replicate everything else. Um, okay. There's, I'll there's, allow it. <laughs> there's an episode of Next Generation where Picard uh, explains humanity's rise out of the darkness by saying, once we discovered that matter and energy were interchangeable – we had enough resources to make sure that none of our people had to starve. None of our people had to go to war. Um, <coughs> um, so it's, 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 it's part of that discovery, yeah. um, which helps humanity, you know, overcome, uh, and, and we've, we, we've established by now that they have eradicated war and poverty. Um, so, they have the ability. I, I'm, I'm yeah. going to say they have the ability yeah. to replicate pieces of the hull for repair, probably. I, I still got the impression. I mean, let's let's go back to the fact that there was a farm there, um, and if they if they really did have replicators at this point to you know wipe out poverty and whatnot, um, I, I don't really know if they really needed to have a cornfield. Um, although it could just be people hanging on to the old <laughs> it's artisanal. ways. Yeah, it could. 
<laughs> that was actually uh, a hipster with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, perhaps they had not yet perfected organic matter replication. Uh, <coughs> that is possible, yeah. Metal structures are easier. Um, yeah. You know, the things that only have to be structural and not nutritional, perhaps that's that's a simpler task. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I think it could be explained away. Um, but there's, there, there's a moment in an episode that I didn't get to rewatch. Mm-hmm. I forget which episode it is. Um, but the crew of the Enterprise visits a, uh, uh, an alien space station. Mm-hmm. They have to barter. And mm-hmm. the only thing they have to barter with are items that are unique to Earth. And so they're showing off spices. They've got black pepper. That's what they're trading because no one else has ever heard of black pepper before. Yeah. <laughs> so I, occasionally I think they do stop and, and restock on resources by bartering and trading. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that makes sense. Um, um, it's, it's not shields, but right. I mean, they got, it's especially, I mean, they, they do suffer some pretty big damage and yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows how they're repairing that stuff, but yeah. Um, what do you think of the temporal cold war? The temporal cold war? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the main sort of overarching conflict that's established in the pilot that there's a guy from the future oh, right. talking to the <clears throat> bendy aliens. That's right. <coughs> I forgot. Yeah, I kind of blocked that out of my head. Um, I remember this popping up later episodes when mm-hmm. I was watching it partially. Um, I don't like the concept of it. I I kind of wanted to because, damn it, I love everything to do with time and manipulation of time and space. Mm-hmm. But I I think it falls short I, in the in the pilot. Um, I, I don't have any notes specifically against that, and I was I was really trying to focus my my uh, th- things to uh, either extreme like or or <laughs> hatred. Um, so this either fell in the middle or I at least liked it. Because um, in the, in the pilot, I think it works really well. Yeah, I, I think it it helps establish that. There is some large, even though this is just one small ship from Earth, mm-hmm. there is apparently some shadowy force in the future that is aware that these people are destined for great things. <coughs> and so we have to watch out for them. Yeah. And we better take care of them. It, 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 it very subtly sort of sets up that there is a broader importance to little NX Starship Enterprise yeah. here. And furthermore, the actor that plays the main uh, um, alien, uh, uh, Silic. Yes. Is gonna, he's... He's a really good villain. He's a good actor. He's he's slimy without seeming caricaturish. Um, he's 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 got a nice a nice you know I I buy that he is this this kind of person. Yeah, I really buy him. I um, <coughs> I I really enjoyed everyone's performances in in this episode. I, I thought it was it was great. Um, and I do remember him. He was yeah it, he really fit well. Mm. Um, I'm trying to look him up right now. Just there was something about him, and I don't remember what. But oh well. Um, yeah, it it felt like I I think I said it already. It it just was a really good way to introduce a lot of characters, whether they're they're main characters or potentially soon to be main characters, uh, mm. in, in a bad way. Um, also the uh, the introduction of his dog. Um, <laughs> which I'm sorry, 
his dog stays in that room all day. That's really fucking shitty. Yeah. <laughs> Who brings a dog to, to sta- space? Exactly. A while. Like you do. I don't. That's uh, not even like you. He, the dog has a whole house or a whole apartment. Like that's that's smaller than a studio apartment. I did. I didn't rewatch the Risa episode. Did they take? Por- did he take Porthos out to Risa? I don't know At if least. I saw that. Oh, oh, that was the uh, uh, the one with the uh, terrible storm uh, at night. Was that where they went camping? Uh, maybe the camping episode. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's it, they they went to Risa. Oh, the oh, vacation it, oh, the vacation. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. No, yeah. um, I, I didn't. Gets, I, oh, she gets some. <laughs> I didn't see that yet. I, I kind of uh, was only picking the ones that we were going to be discussing, but I do plan on going back and watching them. Just uh, morbid fascination, I think. <laughs> um, I'll have to. I'll have to definitely make sure I pay attention to that one. Um, <laughs> see if he takes Porthos. He better take Porthos. <laughs> he dambled. Well, I feel like he took Porthos down. I think it was the second episode when they went down to the planet that had like you know the lush green grass and everything and and i feel like the dog was down there for that that was Um, nice of him yeah i mean it's the least he can do (laughs) (coughs) um i want to talk a little bit about how um how much i admire uh scott Bakula because okay um i i grew up watching um quantum leap Mm -hmm. uh with my family one of the few uh, shows growing up, I think that we all kind of agreed that we liked together. That's um, sweet. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, and it was a fucking great show. Um, so I was really like, when this when this was announced and they they said he was the captain, I I immediately was excited for this. Uh, you know, this mm-hmm. entire show. It, it, they could have had like, I don't know, the worst fucking actors. And as long as they had him in it, it was going to be fine. Um, I, I have since taken that back because he's in um, CS or not CSI, NCIS, uh, mm. New Orleans. Um, one, I don't like his, yeah, New Orleans. Uh, one, I don't like his accent, whether it's uh, accurate or not. It just doesn't fit him. And two, that show sucks. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry, Scott Bakula. Uh, I did love you, but something oh. happened along the way. Um, <laughs> it was somewhere around the time of uh, that men show that he was on on TBS. Um, so I... I I really liked it, and I really enjoyed watching his portrayal of the first Star Trek, you know, Star Trek universe uh, captain. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has the right amount of humility and uh, um, and leadership that you would expect from uh, a captain of Starfleet. Um, but I feel like there's certain times that I just can't get behind him and i don't i still haven't been able to put my finger on it like every episode there's oh, usually I'll, something I'll put your finger on it, oh okay because i've got some words to say about scott back oh well done <laughs> go ahead all right here's the thing i like scott Bakula a uh, lot yeah he is he's no jean-luc picard well no, no nor is he a james t kirk right because he is neither a a wise somber elder statesman nor is he, you know, a, a, a young, confident hotshot, really. Mm-hmm. He is an affable, likable guy. And so when Jonathan Archer needs to deliver lines with with weight and gravitas, Scott Bakula just can't do that. Uh. He doesn't have it in him. He's too gosh darn 
affable and yeah. likable. Okay. <clears throat> he doesn't and it, it he seems goofy when he has to deliver lines that require real gravity and yeah. weight to them. Yeah. Um you, you know, he's he's the captain of the water polo team. He's he's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay i i get he's, i get he's it a, yeah. he's a frat boy but on the on by the same token yeah. i i accept that this is who jonathan archer is and it's because there is no history here of starfleet captains true he never trained to be a diplomat he never he never trained to do other all he trained to do was be a pilot right he spent he spent hours in his in his flight simulator you right. know that's he's an astronaut basically he's buzz yeah. aldrin yeah it's like we're tasking <laughs> buzz aldrin with being uh, uh with being an ambassador to the u.n isn't he kind it, of doing no. <laughs> um but you know so he's he's yeah. not a starship captain in the sense that that was not a job that existed right he was just the best that they had at the time yeah well I also think there's a little bit of nepotism in there considering his father was supposed to be slated for a the position. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So I don't know like to what degree Jonathan Archer is also an engineer because right. he's got to know a lot about his father's engine. Right, right. But he's also a pilot. So like his background is very technical. Yeah. I think he does good as a leader because he's got that sort of frat boy captain of the water polo team yeah. charm. Yeah. But Well, and that's and that's exactly how he got uh um Hoshi to get on there is that Hoshi? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to get on there was his charm. He he a hundred percent charmed her. It had nothing to do with anything else that was being said because well, her mind was <clears throat> really made up that she didn't want to go into space. Yeah. <clears throat> so that is kind of what it called for. But yeah, I I totally see that now. <clears throat> and it usually is those those parts where he needs to lay something down. When he needs to be dead, when he's trying to be deadly serious, yeah. and he's trying to talk to an alien all mean, he's a, uh, he, he kind of channels a little bit of George W. Because <laughs> we're from Earth, <laughs> and Earth people don't do that. You know, you, you know what the Martians say: fool, fool me once, shame on Vulcans. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. God damn it, Daddy. Um, uh. He does. He is. He is. He's got a little. Which cowboy in him? Yeah. He well, and and that's the thing. I think it's it's part. It's mostly cowboy, and we kind of associate it, especially with it being around nine eleven, with uh, some cowboy diplomacy from a a W. Uh, So so, uh, all in all, yeah, I think the pilot works. Yes. Um. We we haven't talked about the terrible lube scene. The, the where oh, the, the, de- the decon chamber the decon yes oh my god i forgot about that um <laughs> that's just awful that's um, just terrible i so i equated that to um i i th- i want to say that's probably a mix of the channel that it was on because if i remember uh upn at that point uh they had a lot of things that were really geared toward toward guys mm-hmm. um and and just gratuitous for the sake of it, um, and so that's that's one of the things that that stuck out in my head for that. I don't I I would like to think that it's not 
the producers and the writers of Star Trek that wanted to do that. I, I like to think that it's something, some other force, but really I can't say one way or another. So it very well could have been them. I mean, um, it really, yeah, because, you know, Brandon Braga could have decided, yeah. you know, what's, you know, Star Trek is too intellectual. And if we want to bring in more viewers, we could use a little good old fashioned sex appeal. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that, with that idea necessarily, uh, but that scene just is uncomfortable. Well, to watch. And that, I think that's the thing. Like, Sex appeal. I mean, the the original Star Trek had sex appeal. You had you know aliens with three breasts. You had girls yeah. dancing around, constantly trying to seduce Kirk. Kirk constantly trying to rape them. Um, <laughs> it, it was. I mean, it was a, a, a different time in space, apparently. Um, but this just did not fit. And and I know for a fact that they go back and they do this a lot um, because I remember seeing it in other episodes. Um, and I just don't understand why it was necessary to do that. Like, show, yes, that there there has to be de- decontamination because um, really that is all taken care of almost with, um, with shielding um, because I believe they have that on the shuttle pods so that when you walk through the door, it'll... Um, you know, take anything off of you. And then it's also built into the protocols of transporters. Yeah. Um, uh, except for the episode with Barkley where he sees stuff. Um, <clears throat> or space madness, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, so it, it's, I think that it's kind of necessary to to point out that, yes, this happens because that question probably would have come up, especially given that they're on a, you know, foreign planet or whatever. Yeah. They don't know what's going on. Um, but it just it lingered and you didn't need to show all of all of it. I, it just didn't, didn't fit. It's yeah, it's it wasn't it wasn't sexy. <laughs> if, if they were doing it for sex appeal, it wasn't sexy. No. Watching someone go through decontamination is not sexy. <laughs> I um as long as we're on the subject, yes. I will also bring the questionable casting decision of model Jolene Blaylock, yeah. who only had one acting credit uh, at the time she was hired to play to Paul. Yeah. Um she is not I'm not gonna say that she's a bad actress, it's that she's not an actor. She was yes. She was not an actor. She was a model. Right. She learned how to act over the course of four years on the show. Right. And by about the third season, oh, yeah. she's perfectly capable. Yeah. But, man, those first few episodes, <laughs> like, whoever thought, oh, she doesn't need to be a good actor because she's a Vulcan, so she doesn't have to yeah. display emotion. Ooh, man. Just just so, wooden, just nothing. She... <clears throat> I will say, I think she nails some of the lines with her woodenness because... Um, they, she does deadpan really well. Well, and, she probably does, but and, I mean, and, it's luck. It's well, right, she's not doing exactly, anything. Exactly, exactly. And and if they were doing it where it's it's uh, straight man and funny man sort of thing, and she's just delivering all the straight lines, then yeah. But it doesn't work that way. And um, I, I think that's one of the other things that really turned me off from it. I know I said I could watch anything with Scott Bakula, um, <laughs> but uh, really. This this probably started a lot of uh, my downfall because uh, between the writing uh, in the other episodes, the storylines, and and her acting um, made it very difficult. And I I got to a point where <clears throat> rewatching these episodes, I can kind of forgive it. Um, mm. I can kind of maybe not forget, maybe not forgive. I can kind of forget about it um, and not pay too close attention to her acting. Um, 
because I know she does get better as time goes on. Um, she does become more of an actress in that respect. Um, plus, her character changes, like they always yeah. do with all Vulcans that are on for a long time. They get mm-hmm. more of the feels. Yep. Um, These humans are dangerous to Vulcans. Watch yeah, out, yeah. Vulcans. Don't... Uh... <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about that episode from second season. But anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I, yeah, she... <clears throat> she was really hard to watch uh the first go around and yeah. and even even some of this first episode watching it over again i i was like it was very cringeworthy um and i i do not understand that but i think it probably goes back to what you were saying about maybe wanting sex appeal or something like that or they, they needed a new knew- seven of nine you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, at for better it, or worse. I'm not going to say they established that we always need one woman in a skin-tight cat suit. Um, I guess Deanna Troy sort of established well, that. And, hey, but yeah, but I mean, they at least, she worked out of that. She got promotions and she became a, uh, what do you call it? Um, I almost said an actual part of the crew, implying <laughs> that she wasn't, but she, she you know, was... She promoted uniform. She, she became yeah. a lieutenant commander. That's what it is. Yeah, lieutenant yeah. commander. She she passed her exams and everything. Like I that I I agree. Like that was a a start off sort of thing. Like oh yeah, this is how the old uh, old Star Trek used to work. So we should do the same thing. But they at least um, moved her character, and she was a very integral part of the crew. Um, but I I feel like that accomplishment is just <laughs> thrown out the window. Like with every almost well, yeah, with every every Star Trek, um, at least they the the ones that were in skin tight costumes and stuff like that uh, fit a little bit better in Deep Space Nine, given the lecherous nature of uh, Quark's <laughs> bar and whatnot. Um, you know, because that it kind of fit, but you know, it goes back to like video games. Why does a a woman wear something that only covers you know like a, a metal bra and, yeah. and metal panties and and manages to deflect all this uh, with that quote-unquote armor, and someone yeah. else has to wear all this other stuff. Like, you know, that's sexism. <laughs> Fucking A. <laughs> but even, you know, I mean, even then, her presence on the... Um, to Paul's presence on the crew, similarly to... Um, <clears throat> you know, at, at the end of the day, in this first season, yeah. in this pilot, at least, yeah. she is a bureaucrat who doesn't want to be there. You know, yes. she's not, this is not the perfect crew. This is not the hand selected best of the best, like next generation. Yeah. It's, it's, these were the people that were present when we had to leave. Um, yes. Yes. So there, there's, a, there's a lot that I feel like can be not only forgiven, but also just accepted that, that we're, we're not seeing the best of the best here. These are, these are just regular people and this yeah. is who they are for, you know, warts and all take it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Anything else that you had on uh that you took um, notes on that you wanted to bring up specifically? No, I don't. Not for not for this episode. All right. Well then uh I, I, I think we've we're we're both in agreement uh, yeah. about our tepid <laughs> Yeah. I know I mean I, about, I really uh, I really did like this episode overall. I, I, I do want to go on the record for saying that that when I when I watched it uh originally and this time, I was very excited for where the series was going. Um my disappointment came immediately with episode two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not rewatch episode two. <clears throat> yeah, I. Uh, so I, I don't remember. Well, I, I shouldn't say episode two because technically this was uh, episode two was the second part of the pilot. So um, episode three. Episode three. Yes, I, I should say that. Which um, why can't I think of the name of that? Oh, fight or flight. That's right, fight or flight. 
fuck it. Uh, That's a stupid name. Yep. All yeah, right. Well. So uh, <laughs> join it. So we will continue to discuss uh, some of the best loved episodes of of Star Trek Enterprise yep. uh, in the coming weeks. So if uh, if you would like to add to the conversation, please find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know if you love it, hate it, if you, you know, uh, the, the way that you remember Enterprise, uh, what sort of legacy you, you think it leaves. And uh, uh, yeah, please join us for this ongoing conversation and we will try to determine where Jonathan Archer and crew fit in the pantheon of Star Trek history. Oh, I know where they fit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dave, and that's Ben. Hey. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>